Greetings, fellow imps. I'm Imp Fossil Tom Hensky, and I'd like to welcome you to From Nowhere to Now Here, where incarnate memories prevail. Like many incoming first years, I entered the university a blank canvas. You get it, nowhere. But four years later, I grew to now here. And when I look back at that transformation, it was the friendships that I built through the imps that were a huge part of that growth. But where did everyone end up? I'm going to take us on a journey to find them, to catch up with the friends we've lost touch with. And in doing so, my mission is to rekindle these amazing relationships. Welcome back, Imp Nation. You're gonna like this one today. Most of you aren't really special or famous. You're just boring like me. We got an Olympic athlete amongst us today, which I think is impressive, but I don't know why, Megan. I'm more impressed that you played two sports in college. I could barely handle my studies with one sport and you had it going on with two. Megan O'Leary, what's going on? How's it going, Tom? I am pumped to be here. Well, thanks for making time for it. And I know you're fresh uh, back from Tokyo. Are you uh, back on the time zone? Everything good? Yeah, no, about, yeah, it's been about a month. Uh, finally got back and um, I mean, really it was a quick trip to Tokyo, but finally back, feel like I'm, I'm re, uh, re-engaging with the real world. Um, but yeah, excited to be back and finally telling some stories about the Olympics um, and excited to go through that obviously here with you, hopefully. That's awesome. So, but before we get into that, take me back and give everyone the background. Where were you in high school? What led you to UVA? Give me a little of the background on that. Yeah. So I moved around a lot growing up, but, you know, went to middle school and high school in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, of all places. I think I was one of like maybe five Louisianans in my class at UVA. There's probably more, but it wasn't a lot of us. So when we, when we found each other, uh, there was, there was definitely a a common, um, Hello, you're from this crazy state as well. Um, and so I was an athlete. I, you know, I was a three-sport athlete in college. I got recruited for all sport, three sports. It was basketball, softball, and volleyball. And then I, you know, I was entertaining a lot of different schools. UVA actually came into my radar. My school was a, it was a college prep school. So they, they had a relationship with the Jefferson Scholars Foundation in terms of being able to nominate one student from their graduating class uh, to be a contender for the prestigious Jefferson Scholarship. Um, I had no idea what that was until it was introduced to me and then was really excited. I wanted to, I know that I wanted to go to a school that kind of had it all in terms of, you know, academics, athletics, culture, community. And, you know, kind of the right size for me was the size of UVA. And, you know, I, I'd actually verbally committed to go to LSU, Louisiana State, go be a Tiger. And then it was like a week later that I got the, um, you know, the letter from the Jefferson Scholars that said, you've been awarded one of, I think it was like 32, 33 scholarships. And when you get that, you can't turn it down. So that was kind of the hook, line and sinker for me to go to UVA. And all the while I'd been engaged with the both softball and volleyball, but I was a little burnt out of softball at the time. Um, and, you know, in, in talks with the volleyball program and, you know, they got a free scholarship athlete basically. So invited me on as an official walk-on. 
That's awesome. So you weren't very intelligent because I know the non-intelligent people are the ones who get those Jefferson scholarships because there's so many of them, right? That's right. That's exactly right. We were just a, a group of a bunch of, you know, I don't know, we just snuck in really through the process. Amazing. Before we got on this, you sound really intelligent to me. So you must have really made up some ground on those four years. You just fake it till you make it, man. It's, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So tell me, what was it like when you got there? Did, did you have to get there early for preseason or did you come in with the rest of the student population? Do you remember? I mean, I know you're so old. That's like a hundred years ago for you. It, it is a hundred years ago. Um, yeah, the, those memories are, I feel like emblazoned in my mind. Um, and there's definitely, I, you know, I think Sarah, Sarah Kirkwood, Kirkwood uh, another emp, but I came in with her sister, Emily, um, was in my class in terms of volleyball. So we did have preseason and preseason in Charlottesville, Virginia, in non-air conditioned dorms at the time. I'm pretty sure the old dorms still do not have air conditioning was hell. Um, and I, I mean, I remember you know, first we were put into the residence in because the dorms weren't open. So that was nice because we had these like lovely suites and, you know, we all had really a lot of space. All the first years we would come back from our two and three days and just cry and eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because <laughs> that's all we knew how to feed ourselves with. Um, but then we moved into the dorms and I, in the, between the move, had actually torn my meniscus in practice, which is a huge bummer coming in as a first year. And you're like, so pumped, D1, you're all excited. And then it was like two weeks in, I just tweaked, went down and had torn my meniscus. And so here I am on crutches, angry at the world, moving into the dorms. <laughs> and so my first semester at UVA was a little rocky. But I remember it was so, so hot um, and just like stripping down completely naked to stay, you know, at somewhat reasonable body temperature overnight um, as temperatures soared in the dorms. And I'm from, like I said, I'm from Louisiana. It gets hot there. So just to, to give you some context, but that is, there are some, some rough but good memories um, of preseason uh, at UVA. Well, you'll be happy to know that in 2018, they put air conditioning in the old dorm. Thank God. Thank God. Right. Now they <laughs> call it uh, the new old dorms. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But, you know, it's funny. You you didn't play the I'm going to be an Olympic athlete card and say you need to give me one of the new dorms with the air conditioning right up front. You didn't pull that one? I mean, little did I know because, you know, the coaches at the time were like, oh, you definitely want to be in old dorms because you kind of had a choice a little bit. And so I was like, great. Okay, I'm fine. I just was, you know, yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. <laughs> Instead, realizing that like all because I was good friends with all the basketball players, like all the basketball players were in the new dorm. I was like, what the hell? Like I was sold a bag of coal. Like, <laughs> And so old dorms are very cool. I'm actually very glad to have, have been there. But um, but yeah, once you get there and you're like, wait a minute and you realize the uh, the difference in uh, amenities, um, you know, you realize you were you maybe have you know, a little duped. You know, you have I think you have your bachelor's and your master's from UVA. So when you go back to your doctorate, then you can pull the I'm an Olympic athlete card and they'll give you, you might, but I'm trying to think of what is a step up now from the old dorms. It's like, it's really not. You're really just, you should just be an RA. You'd be a <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a great step up. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh yeah, we can bring kegs in our dorm. Yeah, yeah we can get it done. Megan's a pushover. Gosh. She's Anything goes. Absolutely. Stop. <laughs> Soft. We could do whatever we want. So cool. So then you were, um, you did get your bachelor's. What were you in the College of Arts and Science? What, what did you have going on? 
I was a college kid. Um, I knew that I wanted to go into media, but the media studies program as it is now is very small. And all of the classes were right in the middle of practice. So I, I kind of had to figure something else out. Um, and I, you know, I remember going through the first year prereqs and you had to take, um, you know, sociology, religious studies. You kind of had to take like an assortment. And I had a particular professor, Professor Justin Holcomb, and he was fantastic. I, I just really was sort of drawn to like how he taught. And I was in two classes simultaneously, a sociology class. And it was like, I don't know, Western religions 101 or something. Um, and he, you know, I remember him saying like, you know, my job is not to, to, you know, trick you. My job is not to, you know, scare you away, but my job is, my hope is that there will be a number of you leaving this class that you will declare a religious studies major, you know, this, this, and this. And I was, I was really intrigued. I enjoyed the class. I loved how it kind of made you see the world. It was one of the, it was a strong department. And so I doubled in religious studies and sociology and learned how to read, write, and analytically think, knowing that that would, you know, sort of afford me a lot of skills that I could apply elsewhere. Okay, take me through. You get done with your first year. You you moved off grounds at that point. You moved in with volleyball players, softball players, neither, both. What did you have going on? Yeah, I, I moved off off campus, uh, in the, you know, second year into an apartment with three other volleyball players. Um, Lindsay, Emily, and Emily. So we had two Emilys. Oh man, I wish I could remember the name of the apartments, but they were, you know, really near the corner. <sighs> Wirtland Street. Um, there used to be like a block party right there. So we were like in the heart of it. Um, and so I lived there for a year. And then that was when my second year is when I got picked up by the softball team. So I was, I came just to play volleyball. And then the softball team had gone through like this sort of, uh, you know, horrific like sequence of events where they lost all their pitchers to injury and they knew that I pitched um I was pretty good at it and so they were like we need we just need an arm can you come out I missed it and so I joined them um all all this to serve up but then I eventually moved in with softball players in my third and fourth year that's awesome and then so at what point did the imps uh, rear their head I was like my fourth year going into my fifth year actually I was a late add to the imps and I'm trying to remember exactly. I can't remember if it was the, the fall of my like fifth year, my grad year, or if it was late in my fourth year. Cause I'd gone to, I, I definitely had been invited to the like end of year, the end fall. Um, and always had, I mean, from second, third, cause I knew a lot of the M's, I mean, and, and the ones that had graduated, but were still around D Rob, Brian Hargraves. Um, and so I feel like my initiation came either late in my fourth year or, or very early in my fifth year. Um, when I joined the Ems. Okay. And I'm going to ask you, do you remember the practical joke? Man. And that's, I saw, I cannot remember our practical joke. Um, you interviewed Daniela. I came in with Daniela Vassan and Carlos Aronce. So if they shared it and I did not listen to their episode, I'm sorry, I didn't get a chance to yet. If they shared it, that was my practical joke. <laughs> well, that's funny because Daniela, if memory serves me correct, she, uh, was it the joke on her? Oh, the joke on her was something about that she served uh, someone else an underage, got, got them beer or alcohol. And that was, the, and then she was being brought up. And I think it was funny because she was having this meeting with someone from Judish at a bar. So oh, like, yeah, yeah. So Bo Greenwood, that was the same one. That was exactly our joke because we went to um, the Biltmore and they brought us all there. And Bo Greenwood called me and I was good friends with him, athlete circle. And he was like, 
it was more an athlete had broken a rule. He couldn't tell me over the phone. He, you know, I was, I was team captain. He's like, I need to talk to you about this in person. Um, it's really, really bad. And so here I am thinking like, like, I gotta, you know, take care of, this is great. You jogged my memory. Got to take care of who is it? Like in my mind, I'm already making up the narrative, right? I'm like, which freaking like teammate of mine got themselves in trouble. So that was, yes, that was, that was what brought us all together. Um, it seems like there was a theme of someone did something wrong. <laughs> right. Leave it to Bo to be involved with one of those too, right? Yeah, Leave it yeah to exactly. So, so that's cool. So then you, so that was at the tail end. Uh, do you remember any stories from your time with the Amps? Oh, absolutely. I mean, right. I mean, we had such a fun class too. And so, I mean, I remember, so my initiation too, I was bartending at what was then O'Neill's Irish pub is now Trinity, um, but same location, still an Irish pub. Woo-hoo. Uh, and I was the top, like top, there's a second story. Um, I was the top bartender that night. And, you know, I mean, the, the scene of all the imps coming into a small, it was a smaller bar. Um, and then like basically taking me over the bar and me having to tell, you know, kind of the bar manager, be like, can you take care of this for the rest of the night? Um, uh, and I think there was, there was some sort of, yes, uh, immediate chugging of tuna fitting as we were in a bar. Uh, and so I do remember that evening, um, quite well. And then, I mean, the, you know, the imp balls were always pretty epic. And I think, you know, one, one particularly, I, I do remember us initiating Matt DC was, was also, we were the same year EVA. He was one of the imps during my time, initiated a, a tuna food fight. So, you know, when you make tuna, you throw in the fruit and we initiated a, a full room of the party throwing fruit at each other for a good, you know, five, 10 minutes. But you can imagine how nasty that gets on the floor afterwards. So it was, it was a messy end to that imp ball. Um, but yeah, lots of good memories with, with the imps for sure. Were you on the end of uh, any the giving of the practical jokes as opposed to the one that you took? Oh, gosh. I mean, I do remember initiating the class after me. And I'm trying to remember how, because some of them, you can really put the fear of God into some of those kids. And inter- kids, I say kids. Now they're kids to me. Um, but, you know, because so many amps are all high achieving, right? We want to, we, we want to do well. We want to serve well, we want to be well. And so as soon as you bring up any sort of issue, I, I think I remember scaring and I can't even remember who it was, but anytime you, you bring up Judish, right. It's just like, Oh God, honor code. And it's like, when you're, when you're, you know, when you just see whether it's like even a security guard, just someone around and you're kind of like, Oh God, what am I doing wrong? It's sort of, you know, you immediately, even though, you know, you've done nothing wrong. <laughs> you immediately think, oh gosh, I did something wrong. Oh man, I'll have to think specifically, but those, I always felt bad. Like it was kind of fun, but I always felt bad. Cause like you, the, that fear is real. Um, and you know, even though it's short-lived, it's still, if you feel, you feel a little bad scaring someone like that. Yeah. yeah everyone gets over it. And it <laughs> yeah. You get to be on the in podcast and tell it all over again and live it all over again. It's, it's exactly. great. So when you were in Tokyo at the Olympics, other athletes drinking tuna besides you, or were you the only one who was concocting that? I was just passing it out in mason jars. You know, I just traveled with it and then sent it, just shared it around. There's kind of this tradition of sharing gifts, whether they're like little pins or tuna jars. And I, I'm glad to say that I've, I've, you know, begun a tradition that hopefully is is passed on from generations of, of sharing, you know, homegrown, made in the USA tuna. You make us so proud. I can't. I- <laughs> I, I want to extend how proud I am and the rest of your fellow imps that you kept that going in Tokyo. Of course. Oh, of course. 
So, okay, so then what happened after you graduated? Take me through uh, that path. What did that look like? Yeah, so my my first you know gig, my first job was with ESPN. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's a big sports television uh, company. But yeah, I was really lucky. And I, I got a, you know, a production assistant job with ESPN. And that moved me to um, Charlotte, North Carolina. Initially, they have a big production hub down there that you know, primarily does all the college sports. And that's why I wanted to stay in was college sports. So I lived there for about a year and a half, slogging away, grinding. They do work you to the bone. Um, and then got a promotion, changed departments to programming. And that took me to Connecticut. And so I moved to Connecticut about a year and a half. Like 2008, 2009? Yes. Okay. So started, right. I finished my master's in 2008, started with ESPN a month later, moved to Charlotte, and then fall of 2009, moved up to Connecticut. Still with ESPN, just a different department. Um, And then, you know, from there, things kind of like really took a change. The, The following summer, summer of 2010, is when, you know, I... I Googled rowing. Um, I had had people in my past definitely say like, oh, you could be a, you know, you could be a good rower. My first year roommate uh, was a rower. And I just thought she was so strange because she never, you know, she slept all the time and had to get up really early. (laughs) It was such a weird lifestyle to me, even as an athlete. Um, You know, and then the rowing coach, Kevin Sauer, uh, UVA women's rowing coach had kind of plucked me out of the crowd was like, yo, like you could be an Olympic rower. And I kind of laughed at him. I was like, okay, sure. Um, but it planted the seed and I was looking for something, you know, new and different to do that was going to challenge me in ways that I hadn't been challenged and literally showed up to a learn to row with a bunch of like middle-aged women. (laughs) So, uh, that was my entry into the sport and the beginning of what became an Olympic career. Now, was this in Connecticut or was it somewhere else? Connecticut. Yeah, Connecticut. Well, Connecticut's a rocking state. How did you like stop all the heavy partying? And I think Bristol, Connecticut is where. I mean, I tell you, the social scene there, dude, like, why don't more people live in Bristol? (laughs) When I retire, I want to retire to Bristol. That's what I'm going to do. I heard. Okay. All right. My friends in Bristol are going to hopefully maybe not hear this, but yeah, I did not live in Bristol. I lived in West Hartford, which had a little bit of a scene. It was cool up there outside Hartford. Um, and you, yes, I commuted to Bristol. <laughs> and then, so at what point did, or was there a point that you hung it up on ESPN to focus hundred percent on the rowing or how does that play out? Yeah. So I was really lucky and that I convinced my boss to let me work part-time remote for like uh, almost two years while I pursued rowing at a higher level all the while extending out this sort of leash that I had to take this huge risk of, because you cannot work, especially in TV, but like full, full time and pursue, especially Olympic rowing. It demands a lot of your time. And so in 20 fall of 2011, so about a year after I showed up to these learn to row sessions, um, I had obviously thrown myself into things, bought a boat, raced, did a lot. And I got invited to the national team training center, which is just South in Princeton, New Jersey. And so it was kind of that moment of like, oh, like this happened on a much accelerated timeline than I had planned. And so I had to quickly convince, you know, the national team coach was like, can you come down here? And I was like, "Uh, when? He's like, literally in three days. I was like, give me three weeks. And so in three weeks, I, you know, wrote up this proposal of like, allow me to go part-time. I'll work remotely. All of my work is mostly on the computer anyway. Um, You know, I'll, I, I did travel a lot at that point, but that was a perk I could kind of like say goodbye to while I try to figure this out. 
and they accepted it. I mean, good on ESPN um, for, you know, it's a the standing by sort of their, they're telling sports stories, but for allowing me to, to take this, take the risk on me, but for allowing me to take this risk. Um, and so I went part-time remote for a couple of years and then it got to the place where it was very clear that if I took another step and was, you know, really fully committed that I had a really good chance at making the Olympic team. And that was in the spring of 2013 when I, I finally hung it up and said, I need to leave in order to really see if I can make this happen. And now we have a bunch of Megan wannabes because we're all working remotely. Right? I know. I, I'm a trendsetter, Tom. I'm a trendsetter. That's amazing. <laughs> you're, you're fan, your Twitter handle must be blowing off the like charts. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's yeah. amazing. An influencer became, before there were influencers, if you will, you know? So, okay, so I'm thinking about becoming an Olympic athlete too myself and cool. maybe being a rower. So take me through, what do I have to do to become uh, an Olympic rower? What did you have to go through? Yeah, so yeah, I fortunately had been training for marathons at that point. So I'd built up quite a bit of fitness. You have to have a lot of fitness. And so that was my aerobic base. But then rowing is this insane combination of endurance and power stamina. And so, you know, there's, there's going to be some weight training, but you got to train like six to eight hours a day. You got to be willing to eat like four to 6,000 calories a day. And then you have to be willing to sleep like 10 to 12 hours a day. Wow. That's, that's all you have to do. Sounds like the perfect life. <laughs> yeah. It was a good life. <laughs> eight, eight years in. That's why I've retired. No, it was, it was good, but it's a lot of work. It is a grind. And then you make like millions of dollars. And so it was like totally worth it. That's what I want. I want to, I want to eat all day, sleep all day and make millions of dollars. I'm in on that. Sign me <laughs> up rowing. I don't care what sport it is. I'll do anything. What was the lead up like? Give me the, the, the lowdown of what was going on behind the scenes with everything, literally with the pandemic, all joking aside, that was pretty serious stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it was funny. I, I, I did, I gave a talk to a college this morning and they asked exactly that of like pandemic hits. <laughs> How do you how do you navigate that going forward? Um, not only with the delay of the games, but all of the challenges that the pandemic presents presented. Fortunately, rowing's an outdoor sport. We could continue to do our thing um, freely for the most part. But I live in California, where restrictions were strict and um, tight for a very long time, and so fortunately you know, I, I'd been training, my partner and I had been training at a Stanford university linked up where our coach was, um, the head coach of light weight women's program there. And so we had, you know, we had a great infrastructure, but we were also linked up to a school that put down restrictions. So, you know, our access to the boathouse became very limited and use of, you know, being able to use equipment. And so we had to get really creative. I had to basically build a gym in my garage we got to row still, we, we got to get out on the water, but it was, we had to be really creative. We kind of had to be flexible um, with, you know, how, how we traveled, how we, how we got to go to any sort of training camps, um, which we didn't really get to do. And we were used to doing, we didn't get to compete internationally for a year and a half, which was insane um, in terms of just like, when you think about preparing for what is supposed to be the biggest competition of your life, there'd been very little competition up to that point. And so it was, it was, it was a challenge, but it was, I feel very lucky that we were in a sport that it's not as if we needed to be in a gym or, you know, some of these sports that relied on being around other people or in a gym um, really, I think, took, took a different type of kind of hit in that way where we were lucky to be outside for sure. 
Can you take me through some of the ups and downs over that time period? I mean, I know the downs sometimes stick more in your head because they, you know, I remember when I was helping my daughter, who's only in ninth grade now, but trained for the run that she had to do for her soccer team. I remember the mornings out on the turf doing the run, her not making it, the crying, living my childhood from very similar things. So like share that a little with, with everyone that's listening. I think people would really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I was about to say, if we need to have a therapy session too, Tom, it sounded like you were getting triggered. <laughs> I, I, I've got so many issues. That's why, that's why I'm not having my episode until the 200th episode. Cool, cool, cool. That's great. We're, we're not quite sure who's going to be able to interview me. They might have to be a licensed professional. You're right. You're right. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's, it's hard to, I, it's taken me a month really to be able to talk about the Olympics because it it was a disappointment. It was a huge disappointment for a number of reasons, but part of, you know, a compounded disappointment was that heading coming out of in 2020, my double partner and I, we were primed. Like we were hitting our peak. We kicked everyone's asses at a pre-trial event. Um, and we were, we were like on par to metal and, and then the delay happens and, you know, that's obviously part of sport, just it's a very unexpected big one. I, in the last year, had, you know, kind of some significant injuries um, that probably played into our trials performance as a double. I was fortunate enough to make the quad, but I ended up, you know, in the, at the height of COVID out here in May, I was in the hospital with a really serious infection um, that limited, you know, it was several days and then it limited my kind of ability to row and train and after for, for a good couple of months, um, which was in some ways convenient, I guess, that the Olympics had been delayed um, for that reason. Um, and then, you know, about six months later, I ended up in a bike accident. So it's just like, I had like, and so I have, you know, I'm like going to get surgery in a couple of months. So I had to train through like a bum shoulder and um, really figuring out how to get to a place where I could even just try and make the Olympic team um, and to keep going. Like at this age, you get injured and, or things happen. It's sort of like, man, I could go be making money or taking trips with my now fiance. Like I could be doing things um, instead of, you know, grinding it out and kind of enduring this pain all for, you know, the Olympic dream. Um, and I may sound cynical now, I'm not cynical, but it was, it was a really tough year. And I think hard to, I think we all have that in some way, shape or form, right? During COVID, like things happened that we didn't expect. Um, some more serious than others, deaths, like dealing with grieving. And it just, it, it was, it was tough to kind of pick yourself up and keep going. Um, but I think important, right? You can, I, for me, it, it did, it kept me going. I had this goal, I had this reason to keep training um, during some tough, right, some tough periods. So I know I've had an injury myself during my playing days. Probably anyone who is an athlete either had a couple of injuries along the way or ended their career because of an injury. Usually it's uh, very few and far between that get through without any injury. So how are you pushing yourself through those times, right? Because it's like you, you're kind of alone and you feel alone because it's the pandemic. You, it's, it's magnified in a, in a kind of sort of way, right? Doesn't it? Like, yeah, like, Absolutely. Am I right? Yeah, no, totally. And, you know, I mean, unfortunately too, and we, we had bubbled um, a little bit in terms. So I had like a, my PT became, I just was like (laughs) her and I like are bonded for life because she was like, we're going to figure this out and we're going to get you to a place where you can compete. Um, And it's, I mean, all luckily I was, I think also luckily I was an older athlete. You know, I had injuries, right. Like you said, like I, I knew I was like, okay, like 
this isn't the end of the world, even though it feels like in the moment, you just gotta, you gotta break it down. Like, what am I going to try and do today? What am I going to try and do tomorrow? And how can I see the path forward to get to back to the place that I need to be where I can, you know, be at a hundred percent right now. I can't even fix my hair. <laughs> like, so not being overwhelmed, right. By the immediate and knowing that, Hey, this is going to be step by step. Um, but yeah, I mean, injuries are, they're not even, you know, pandemic, like, aside they're lonely experiences uh because it is you and often in athletics i think too with the team sometimes like when you have an injury people are like "Mm, bad juju (laughs) like there's a little bit of distance um but yeah i always say that the hardest part about injury is actually the mental and emotional side not any sort of like physical pain or you know um rehab it's the mental and emotional side of it any thought of quitting at the time Oh, I mean, I hate quitting. Right. I think that there was, you know, there was a moment and it was great. My, my coach sat me down and she's like my age, she's only a year older. And she was like, you need to walk me through what the experience is like when you sit down, I had to sit down with the ortho and she was like, looking at the x-rays and looking at the, they kind of had an ultrasound. She's like, you might be done. And we need to take you in an MRI. And when you come out, I'm going to either have a reason of saying, yes, we can get you back or you need to have surgery immediately and you're done. Like no Olympics. And she, she made me like emotionally come to that place where I could face that and that there wasn't a relief if I was not given the option to decide. Right. Um, But of course, I think in the back of your mind, and even I had tons of friends nationally and internationally, domestically, internationally quit in the pandemic year said, it's not worth it. I'm not going to keep going. And sometimes I would be like, Oh, those lucky bastards, <laughs> they're done, you know? And so it is, it's sort of this uh, relationship where sometimes you like, don't want to be in it anymore. Um, but in the end, you know, I, I knew that I, I couldn't face not having seen it all the way through for sure. All right. So instead of it being Tom Downer, let's now you getting this. <laughs> we got real, we got real. <laughs> This is like an M podcast that I feel like I'm a Zoomer bringing everyone down. Crap. <laughs> so you, you tell me, you get to the Olympics. What was it like? Give me some of the, 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 you know, take me through it as if I was hanging out with you there. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it was different. I, I was so lucky to have been in Rio um, because I had the sort of the comparison. Tokyo was different. Obviously it's COVID Olympics, um, but it was still, I mean, I, what I've said is I, Japan, Tokyo, they did a fantastic job. They probably were the, the only country that could have done it given the circumstances with, you know, like order and discipline and following rules and procedure. Cause that's what it took. Um, the Olympic village was like, was very cool. Um, you know, it's this little town that they create and then you're living in with, you know, imagine literally living in a town of just 11,000 Olympians basically is what it is. So everyone's fit. Everyone's walk around They're tight, fresh gear. Um, it's a very, there is an energy to that environment that is it's palpable. Like you can kind of bite through it in the air of, of sort of, these are people literally at the peak of their, you know, physical existence. And they've worked years, some years of their life to get here. And they're like, that is, I always like that. I touched that in Rio, but then in Tokyo, it's just, you could kind of feel, and everyone's so excited to be there. It's happening. We're getting to compete, you know, and I'm a two-time Olympian, but seeing like other Olympians was really cool. Like I, you know, I, I, I tapped Simone Biles on the shoulder and said, you're amazing. Good luck. 
Um, I, I like to think, not like to think, I, I feel bad thinking that I added <laughs> to the pressure that she may have felt, but it was really just like those moments of like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm in the presence of, of greatness um, and being able to, you know, consider myself a peer of greatness uh, was, is really, really special. Um, and you kind of, you know, you get to fan out over your own, like people that you admire and you're literally sharing the same zip code with them for, you know, a couple of weeks, but it's, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool experience in that way. And were you living in a hotel or what was that like? Yeah. So the village is like this, um, you know, basically a, 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 you know, a compound of, of condominiums that they convert into affordable housing usually. And so there, you know, there are these condos like Team USA is in its own condo tower. And so my floor was mostly rowing, you know, the floor, a couple of floors above us is the swim team, a couple of floors above us is the track and field team. So you're, you're kind of, you're in your own building if you're a country as, as big as Team USA. Some of the other buildings are, you know, obviously like a collection of countries, you know, and there's, I mean, there's a huge dining hall. It's massive that you go have all your meals 24 seven. There's a huge fitness center. You can go, you know, if you need to go get some training in other separate from your competition venue, there's a, this big like plaza where there's a store and there's a place to get like your haircut and a bank and a post office. And so it's, it literally is a miniature town high security. You can't leave or come back without going through a, a series of, you know, temperature checks, um, you know, security checkpoints, all that stuff. So it is, it is that level, but it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was really cool. It was, it was beautiful. Saw the skyline of Tokyo from, from kind of across the water and sort of a surreal, yeah, a surreal little uh, three week vacation almost in a, a condo community. I was going to say, it sounds a lot like going to UVA without having to go to class. I mean, basically like if your class is practice, but yeah, you're just, you know, and COVID, you know, prevented us from getting to really like hang out and spend time with other people, but there's all this outdoor space, big courtyard kind of areas where, yeah, like go hang out with other athletes and go take your picture in front of the rings. And I mean, streak in front of the dining hall, if you'd like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for the visual. Appreciate that. (laughs) Wait, any chance you ran in? I think there were nine UVA folks there. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was the number I heard. You didn't happen to run into anyone, did you? Well, so we had a number of, um, there was a fellow rower, Christine O'Brien was on, she was on my team. She's a fellow UVA or there were a couple, um, UVA rowing girls on the Canadian team. Um, one of them won a gold medal. No, two of them won a gold medal excited for them. And then we had some swimmers. We had like a really strong contingent of UVA swimmers, um, that I never really got to maybe in passing, but never really got to catch them different schedules. Um, but yeah, I was, was really excited and proud of the UVA representation on the Olympic team this year, for sure. Tell me about the competition. Take us through what that was like. Nerve wracking. I'm sure like exhilarating. Yeah. I mean, all of those things, you know, it was, it was, it was tough in the sense of we had just, God, we had some like bad things come our way. We had some injury in our boat. Um, we had just without getting too into detail, some, I think mismanagement of like our training. Um, and so it was like, it was, it was a little bit disappointing on that end, but you're still at the Olympics. You're, you know, you're going to the line, uh, against the best of the best. And you know, that that's a really special rare once in a lifetime, maybe never right type experience that you have to appreciate, you know, and I had to create ways to be really proud of it, even though knowing that it it became very clear that we were struggling. Like we had 
this potential to come in and, and meddle because of what we'd shown in training and then had a series of events that led into sort of like having to wrap your mind around, okay, that's not going to happen. How can I like really make the most of this experience? But, you know, competing at the highest level, competing with the best of the best, like that in itself is, is a incredible experience. Nef- definitely not how I would have liked to have seen my career end, but you know, I don't, I think there's a very small, tiny percentage of people that really get to be happy with the way things, you know, close out. Yeah, we always used to joke around and say, yeah, there's only one person that ends the year on a win, right? right? You're right. There's like when you're in college sports. Yeah, exactly. Volleyball. There's only there's only one team that ends up with the win. Everyone else is like second place or down from there. Yep. And you weren't able to have family there too, right? Yeah, stands were empty. And that was unique. I mean, rowing, you know you kind of black out at the end. So you rarely he- like hear the stands, but there is a, there's an ambiance created with, with having people there. And I had family and friends and um, you know, I had people in Rio and, and that just made it extra special. And it was, it was, it was tough not having that. I had so many people that wanted to come to Tokyo um, and then to, to feel like, oh man, you kind of missing that and knowing that this was it. Um, it was, it was tough. No family, no friends. It was, I mean, it was a, a very streamlined presence of just athletes and supporting staff. So like, okay, you close one chapter and now what's, what's next? What do you tell me, take me through professionally what you're doing since your ESPN days, what's going on? Yeah. So, you know, back in 2014, I joined up and I co-founded with a he was actually a, an Olympic rower as well, far before me. Um, but started a startup, was with them for about seven years, and we scaled it. Um, it's a B2B SaaS software that helps companies you know, recruit and hire talent more inclusively, remotely. Um, COVID was good to us. Um, and I left them at the end of February. Um, can't really talk about it, but left them at the end of February. Um, and since, you know, was able to obviously focus on uh, the Olympics, but since picked up, was picked up by another startup to, you know, I'm such the San Francisco Bay uh, area cliche, but to help them because they're, they're small and they need to understand how, how do we go to market? So that's been fun. I love problem solving. I love strategy. Um, You know, taking what I learned at ESPN was all about business savvy strategy, how to turn a product into something you can monetize and create fan engagement. And a lot of that parallels to, to, you know, helping companies, but also building products that people enjoy and people want to use. And, and how do you, how do you pay attention to the, the things that tell you that and, and scale from there? And so that's what I've been doing since I got back from Tokyo. Um, I have plans to do also the second cliche thing of, of a two-time Olympian retiring and, and, and write something down and see if people like to read it. So that's, that's on my horizon as well. Um, but yeah, so I, we'll see if I get back into media. I'm, I'm not sure. ESPN was fun. Um, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening, obviously, in, in women's sports um, that I'm talking or exploring some opportunities because there, there are so many opportunities. Um, to, to like what? Give me a couple of examples. Yeah. So there's, I mean, without like, I can't give too much away, but like, right. So there are, there are media companies now that are focused on um, enhancing women's sports coverage. You know, you've seen just women's sports, which is awesome um, together, which was, you know, created by, you know, Sue Bird, Simone Manuel, like there's really some exciting stuff happening. There are expansions, you know, the, the national women's soccer league is trying to expand the WNBA is, you know, trying to expand. And a lot of these teams or companies, you know, are focused also on, on hiring 
female talent um, and having like diverse uh, teams. And so it's exciting. I, you know, been exploring those uh, as, as they come. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't mind. I spent so much time in it as an athlete um, and I wouldn't mind, you know, trying to continue to help uh, kind of promote the mission that I, I benefited from, but also kept pushing the bar on. So there's, there's, you know, kind of some opportunities I'm looking at to that fit, I think fit that uh, desire in me to, to be a part of. So we'll see. Are you anywhere involved with what's going on in college sports now with the name image likeness? And I, I would have to think that there's like unbelievable opportunities for all athletes, but I don't know. I just see great opportunities for women in particular. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, that's, there's so much happening. It's that's, I nerd out on NIL because I, I, it is, it's, it's going to be the wild west. The, the, the startup I'm working with has potential to, to touch on that. They're not specifically, um, but it's going to be the wild west for a little bit in terms of really figuring out regulation, how, you know, I worry that some athletes may get taken advantage of um, making sure that there's appropriate resources and education and athletes aren't signing their rights away indefinitely for a $10,000, you know, something that's, and so there are tons of opportunities. It's funny years ago, I was like, there needs to be an app that affords like these small little, I mean, cause that's how, especially women can, can find equal footing is they're not going to be LeBron James and have, you know, millions and millions of followers, but women athletes, and especially at the NCAA level are are proving and demonstrating that they have high engagement and that's really valuable to brands um, in terms of ROI. So I do think it's going to be sort of this, this massive opportunity, especially for women athletes and, and non, non-football, non-basketball athletes as well. So. Yeah, I'm, uh, as you know, from my background, I'm really into the financial literacy end of things where, yeah. you know, how do we, we're getting money in these athletes' hands. Well, what does that mean? And how yeah. do we teach them about money and give them at least a crash course so they have a little bit of a foundation so they don't crash and burn on stuff like this? Tons of opportunities. You're right. Tons. Yeah. And do you think you'll stay in California? Are you now, people say once you move to California, you never move back. Are, are you there for the duration in your mind? Man, it is. It, I mean, that that's saying exactly. So I came out here in fall of 2017, not really thinking it would be like a forever place, but, you know, I, I was talking, I'm getting, I'm possibly putting an offer in on a home tomorrow. Right. So it's like, yeah, like I, I really enjoy California. It's tough. It's so expensive out here, but it's, you know, it's, it's got, it's, it's, it's got, it's, uh, things that have kept me around. Obviously I, when I, when I returned from Tokyo, I actually landed in Dulles and spent a couple of days in Charlottesville. I have a lot of friends still in the kind of RVA area, Richmond, Virginia, up in, you know, to DC, but, um, and there was a hard push to like, come back, come back. And I've always, I mean, that that's always been sort of also a, a thing that I've entertained is like eventually maybe, you know, somehow getting back to, to that side of the, of the country. So we'll see. Um, but I do like California for the time being. Um, but, you know, haven't, haven't crossed getting back to Virginia off my list quite yet. And where's your family living nowadays? So I still have my parents in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So in the home I mostly grew up in. And then I have two brothers. I have a twin brother and an older brother, and they're both in the Dallas area, Texas. Um, so I probably won't be moving to Texas, no dig on Texas, but so yeah, it's tough being this far away from family. Um, but you know, just now I have the time I'm not training anymore. Now I have the time to take trips. Any desire to coach? You know, I, I've always enjoyed, um, coaching opportunities, but, um, I don't think that that is my, my, my best 
impact, way of impact. I could see myself volunteering, um, you know, here and there. And, but as a career, uh, at least right now, I definitely need a, a, I think a break from sport in that capacity. Um, but I, I've never, it's, it, it hasn't really been the thing that I thought I should do or would do. Um, I love speaking, you know, I, I speak to teams, I help teams like in these one-off opportunities, which I really enjoy. Um, but yeah, not sure coaching is for me. Uh, describe a, like a cool event that you spoke at. I mean, it's really weird now because speaking feels probably more like Zoom. I mean, it uh, is. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, any cool groups that you spoke to that meant a little bit more than others to you? Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell two stories because one is like pretty imp um, on brand. So Ryan Hargraves, uh, a famous name um, in the, the imp circle. Terrible he, guy. He's awful. He's awful. Terrible Awful. human being. I know he listens to these. Ryan, you are a terrible <laughs> person, but go ahead. I'm not going to hold it against you, Megan. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll just, disclaimer, disclaimer. Um, he was on the TEDx Charlottesville uh, committee back in 2016, and he somehow convinced the rest of the committee that I would be a great speaker coming home from the Rio Olympics. Um, that was so fun, uh, being a part of the TED, TEDx, and we've had so many imps that have gotten to do that, right? Um, it's fun, fun seeing kind of, you know, who, who and what they talk about, to be honest. And, um, we should start our own TEDx imp, I think, um, Tom, we just came up with a great idea. Um, but yeah, that was so fun, uh, in terms of being back in Charlottesville, you know, you're like, in front of a thousand people and the fact that, you know, Ryan was connected to it and it was, that was, that was really special. And then, you know, out of that, and I have, gosh, dang it, Ryan to thank for this, I think is that, you know, I, I got some like YouTube air and a, a speaking agency found me and signed me. And so now I've gotten to, you know, gotten to professionally speak, make some dollars off of it um, and really enjoyed it. It's, it's fun um, to, you know, feel like people want to listen and learn from your story, but it's been everything from like, the New Jersey Chemical Council Society Conference to, you know, like Georgetown Athletics and um, the, you know, women engineers of ne Nebraska. So there's like really interesting people that you, you know, it's a challenge too. You have to like, how do I figure out how to relate my experience and what I've learned to what they're dealing with or what what's interesting to them? Um, you know, I've had early on, like definitely like the learning curve, uh, but it's, it's fun. I, I enjoy it. So a number of different organizations, college athletes are kind of that college environment is always some of the most fun because uh, I feel like what you share really resonates with them. Uh, not only as an athlete, but they're just so excited to like grab onto something. Um, but yeah. So thanks, Ryan. I owe everything to you. <laughs> we all do. The, the imps is a society. We owe everything to Ryan for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's just something like very cool when you have like a re a amazing opportunity to be an athlete um, because it gives you a set, right? And with a certain demographic that they'll listen to you just because you've been down the road. So I, I, I think that that's awesome because it, you think about the impact, no pun intended with the word IMP, but the impact that you could have on either another athlete or even more importantly, just the athletes just really set themselves up for later in life if they follow the same rules, right? It's the, the, the way to be successful in sports isn't that unlike other things in life. Oh. And, and I'm not just talking about jobs, right? It could be even relationships that you have either with family members, significant others, kids for that matter. So I get it. That's awesome.
totally. And connect the dots. Uh, any UVA either lessons or experiences that kind of you took with you that you had an aha moment and said, wow, that was probably because of my experience at UVA. Oh man, so many. I mean, I feel, you know, every institution, every school has its stuff, but I feel very, very lucky to have um, had so, you know, my, you know, years that are so impactful on who you become as a person and what you learn about yourself spent at UVA. Um, I mean, a big part of it, I think it was always sort of a, a part of me and bred in, in me through my parents and, and ingrained in terms of this, this idea of service. Um, and that is something that has continued to be a big part of my ethos in terms of just like how I view the world, my role in it. Um, and that, you know, I'm really not entitled to anything like, and if, if, and when I can making sure that I'm bringing others with me or making whatever experience I had better for other people. Uh, and I, I appreciate that. I do think that that is such a, an important part of the UVA student experience is to be involved in lots of things. You know, you are a student athlete, but you are also supposed to, you know, and encouraged to, Hey, get, get involved in honor society, get involved, like get involved in these other things that create the whole person. Um, and I've taken, you know, that experience as well as that appreciation and validation for, Hey, you can be really successful if you approach life this way toward what I've wanted to do. And I'm very excited about being able to spend more time on other things. Uh, rowing has taken up a lot of time, but even then I, you know, I served for eight years now as the student or student, the athletic uh, director, the female athlete director on the board of directors for U.S. Rowing, because it was important for me to serve um, as well as benefit as an athlete from the experience. And so, I mean, if that's the number one thing that I think I walked away, you know, from from my UVA experience with, and part of that was simply because of you know the the culture, but also just the people. Right, you walk onto the grounds and <laughs> you think you're hot shit, um, graduating, you know, kind of top of your class ish or, you know, so many valedictorians, right. Um, a great athlete, whatever it was. And then you're surrounded by people who are all better than you. <laughs> and so it is, um, this idea that like, Oh, like I got to turn the volume up. Like I got to keep sharp. And I, if I want to stay like kind of in the pack or, you know, continue to kind of make myself better, I have to and contribute to this amazing group of people. Um, you know, I have to put work into it. So I think it, it that's why you have you know, so many great people doing great things that graduate from UVA. Yeah, it's humbling. It's certainly humbling. <laughs> I remember my first year there, and we were talking on this at a prior episode that I said, you, you know, I'm saying to myself, I do not belong academically. I do not belong here academically. I got really good grades in high school, but these kids are just smarter. They're better. Uh, and so I'm just going to have to outstudy them. And I remember so many nights um, for going like a, a party here or a party there and going to whatever it was, Cabell or Hall, I think it was. Mm -hmm. I had like all these, remember there were no locks on the doors. Oh, right. Yeah, at the time. <laughs> You'd go get a couple of Mountain Dews to stay awake and then there you go, right? And so, I, you know, I think back to that and it became that work ethic and that wanting to compete. And for me, competing was just don't look like an idiot. Right. It wasn't like be the top. It was just like, you know, try to blend in and don't be classified as like not an intelligent guy. Right. So I think that that's the, the, one of the beauties of UVA is that it helps all of us step up our game a little bit on multiple fronts. And I don't just mean in a classroom. You know, I think for each of us, we could all step up our game in some area 
And UVA is so diverse and so many great people in a lot of areas that there's always an area that you could get better into. I don't want to say compete, but kind of just, you know, lay, raise the level, right? So Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. And so what's um, anything else next for you that you have on your bucket list? And, you know, one thing I wanted to know about is, have you been rowing since the games? No, I'm going to take a break. Someone asked me, like, want to go out for a row? I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> So I have been doing a lot of running, cycling, um, obviously exercising. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take a break from rowing for a little bit, for sure. I just, I did get asked to go ahead. So you have like a week where you just ate pizza and ice cream and you said, ah, screw it. <laughs> was there a week of that that you gave to yourself? What was that? Oh yeah. I mean, and I mean, the equivalent of tuna was involved too. Like it was like, yeah, just like, I don't have to wake up tomorrow morning at 5am and, you know, sit at heart rate 170 for two hours. So yes, I will have another glass of wine or like another beer. So absolutely. That is, um, I, you know, I'm starting a dry week this week, uh, to, <laughs> to write the ship, uh, from the past month. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, you know, absolutely. It's been, it's been a month of just really enjoying friends and family and sleeping in, staying up late, all the, you know, I feel like, a like a, a kid with their parents out of town or something, right. Like just like all the things that I kind of had to be very disciplined about, um, and, and enjoying a little bit, uh, leeway <laughs> on. Well, you earned it. Uh, you ready for our fast fun questions? Oh gosh, let's do it. All right, here we go. I think you already answered the first one. Do you still drink tuna today? And it sounds like, yeah. I mean, in all seriousness, we need to have an intervention. I think in all seriousness, if I was still drinking tuna, I, oh my gosh, I cannot imagine. I have not, you know, I have not had tuna since um, definitely uh, being back at UVA, but um, it sounds a little bit awful, to be honest. All right. Well, in the show notes, we'll post the recipe that you're using at the games in the Olympic for everybody. Perfect. So they have it because I know it's a, little, it's a little bit different than the one we have in Charlottesville. And I think people might want to want to try them. So. I mean, Olympic edition, I, I think there's, yeah, there's, there's a market for that for sure. Tell me about Bodo's. If you, you and I were hanging out and we were going to Bodo's tomorrow, what are we getting? Oh, I mean, sort of your like tradition, like an everything bagel toasted. Cause you got to specify, like, I want this warm, um, egg, bacon, and cheese. If I'm feeling saucy and salty, maybe ham, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a breakfast sandwich. I love a good breakfast sandwich. Okay, I have some really bad news for you, and I know I'm going to bring you down hard on this one. They don't toast anymore. Oh no! Really? Oh, no, fine. they don't toast anymore. And their their reasoning for it is that the bagels are all fresh. They're hot to begin with. Oh, okay, fine. That's fine. <laughs> as long as it's hot. <laughs> Sounds like a COVID pandemic excuse for like not doing something. But you know, all right. I'll take it. It's fine. <laughs> you'll slum it when we go back down you'll have it not toasted you know what we'll do you and i will bring a toaster and we'll just plug it in and we'll buy the bagel separate from all the food and we'll just get it done because or we can charge people 50 cents a pop to throw theirs in the toaster when they come I mean, out you know you can make money public speaking toasting bagels there's tons of opportunity there so, entrepreneurial mindset Tom. oh my god we're gonna you and i are gonna make millions just, just well, hang out after the episode. Let's I have a couple of ideas for you. And then, hey, you have a favorite word with the letters I-M-P in it? I mean, we said it, impact. I love that one. Yeah, that's tough to beat, right? Yeah, yeah. That's tough to beat. Yeah, it's no one will ever beat Ross's first episode. He used pimp. 
Um, <laughs> Fair. So like, it's really, it doesn't get any better than that, but yeah, impact is a close second, a very close second. All right, cool. So um, we'll put some stuff in the show notes. You're going to be writing a book. So you know you're <laughs> going to have at least sold 208 copies, which is the distribution list for all the amps here. Perfect. So, you know, so that you're, you know, your immediate family. So you know you have at least 210 to 215 books that are pre-sold and you're, you're good to go and you can count on that. Any other last things you want to leave with our crew? Hey, I'm getting married. I'm excited about that. Oh so, my God. Yeah, I'm getting married. I think I, there are some imps from my class that will be very excited about that. So the ones that I, you know, we had lots of crazy nights, but yes, I'm getting married. Okay. So. People want to hear about that. Go ahead. So give me the scoop. Well, she's a uva which is great. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, we dated in college uh, for a couple of years and um we reconnected a few years ago. We'd gone our separate ways, seen other people and, you know, obviously kept in touch as, as you, as one does, but um, both ended up in the California a few years ago and we're not available at the time, but then the timing worked out and yeah. And so I proposed to her 48 hours after I got back from Tokyo um, and I'd had it all arranged. It was in Charlottesville. So it was out in the Shenandoah National Park and it was beautiful. And um, yeah, she's a UVA -er. she played soccer, Julia Falk. Uh, there will be lots of people who, who recognize that name, hopefully listening, um, but very excited. So we're looking at venues and stuff, but next year, likely, um, but yeah. Your college sweetheart. I know. Yeah, so I mean, when we both ended up in the Bay Area, but like, you know, reconnected it, it was, yeah, like in terms of, hey, let's give this a go. It was a little over a year ago, but then we were like, very easily and quickly like yeah this is real well that's awesome well hey congratulations to you that's fantastic news Thank and when, when's the date have you said the date haven't nailed down date we're looking at next like you know spring ish um the great thing about california is that there's really no off season um so you can get married year-round it'll all it's dependent it's venues are crazy out here in terms of just like the backlog it's insane finding a venue so we'll see okay, um, well, if you want to do it live on our podcast let us yeah know. yeah we can do a live streaming event absolutely <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey, Megan, you're awesome. Like, I loved that I just shot you a quick email. You responded in a nanosecond. And <laughs> I, I loved our back and forth on the email and getting to meet you live is phenomenal. This is like the best for me. I get to meet a ton of cool, cool, very cool people. But you're also sounds like you're doing some epic stuff or on the road to doing some epic stuff. So <laughs> keep us in the loop. Make sure that you give us stuff for the show notes so everyone can keep up with you. And thanks for being on. Yeah. Well, thanks for what you're doing. This is, this is really a fun way to reconnect with the M community. And I've had people just that I reconnected with because of it. So it's a lot of fun. So thank you uh, for what you're doing and the impact you're making on an impressive group of people, pimps and all. Man, I can't beat that one. That's it. You won the funny <laughs> contest on this one too. That's awesome. Thanks, Megan. And if Nation, thanks for joining us and be back in another couple of weeks to listen to our next one. Take care. Hi there, Tom here. Before I let you go, I want to tell you about my other podcast, Total Sense. As you may know, after my time as an imp, I went on to become a financial advisor. 
okay, stop laughing, don't act so surprised. In each episode, I share advice to parents about how to talk to kids about money. As a parent, I know how difficult that money conversation can be, so I hope you'll listen and find it helpful. It's Total Sense, C-E-N-T-S, as in money, available anywhere you get your podcasts.